Hello, and welcome back to On the Nose. This is Arielle Angel, the Editor-in-Chief of Jewish Currents, and I'm joined today by contributing writer Rebecca Pierce and friends of the magazine, Jasmine Sanders and Sam Adler-Bell, who have been on the podcast before, and we're really excited to have them back. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to be back for another Is That Funny sub-podcast of uh, On the Nose. <laughs> Exactly. And I I don't know yet how bad to feel about asking the three of you to watch this movie. Of course, we are talking about You People, the Netflix interracial rom-com. I'll just briefly give a little summary and then we can jump in. Ezra, played by Jonah Hill, who's one of the writers of the film with Kenya Barris, falls in love with Amira, played by Lauren London, whose parents are followers of Farrakhan, the Nation of Islam, and quote-unquote hilarity ensues. I don't know. I guess we could just jump right into it. Like, where do you guys want to start? (laughs) Deep sighs all around. I mean, I think the important thing to like contextualize is just the response to the film first, because I guess that's why we're talking about it. I don't think we would be talking about it otherwise. Yeah, let's start there. So there's been myriad think pieces written about this film, ranging from it is endorsing Farrakhan and will cause Black men to attack Jews, to this made me feel awkward about Jews being portrayed as white people. And it seems to be getting heat, not only from the right which I think tends to fixate on Black Jewish conversations as kind of a wedge issue, but also from folks in the center. And I even saw like left wing and like even like anti-Zionist sort of like commentators weighing in about how harmful the film was. It seems like a lot of people are like very upset about this particular film. And I've had way more conversations about it already than I ever would have hoped to. (laughs) I mean, maybe I can read just a few things from some of the pieces that came out. So This is from the foreword that says, it feels as though you people is trying to draw a clear connection between Ezra's parents' religion and their Boris behavior. They're not just white, they're even worse. They're Jewish. Basically, they say that the film asks whether Jews are actually the worst kind of white people. So that's that's from the foreword. Then, of course, there's also sort of like the David Badiel, who used to be known for doing blackface, but now is sort of like the crusader against anti-Semitism. He's, he's the anti-racism guy in the UK. His whole thing is Jews don't count, which is that like Jews don't get enough medals in the oppression Olympics or whatever. And he said, the film's Jewish family is positioned as white, privileged, and racist. The black family just have a stern dad. <laughs> At the end, there's much Jewish apologizing for racism, none for anti-Semitism. That word never appears. And then we have like kind of the most inane of all, which is this Jew in the city. That's the name of the the website? The name of the website is Jew in the City. Yeah. I just want to make sure for the listeners, it wasn't just you're like, there's this Jew in the city oh, yeah, who's got sorry. some bad opinions. I think her name is Allison Josephs, who's like mad about Holocaust jokes, but also really mad about Jews and whiteness. Jews are also exotic, she says. I mean, I'll just read a quote. Kenya Barris is clearly a Farrakhan fan. This movie is Barris's chance to get back at the Jews and finally make them silly, degraded, and degenerate in a movie. A man walking around in a yarmulke does have to worry about potentially getting assaulted by a Kenya Barris fan. Jews are currently the most attacked religious minority and most attacked per capita racial minority, and the majority of Jewish attackers are black men. And she said in in Newsweek, 
that this is a movie that's going to incite violence against a minority group and that if this was happening to another minority group, more would be done for them. She cites her own article. Which oh, right. She <laughs> cites her own article. Which summarizes another article that was a very specific study on New York City where they say the majority of the attackers, like 60% of the attackers of like Orthodox Jews are black. I have no idea what that source is. I didn't have time to look into it, but I have seen a lot of analysis on New York and the broader issue of anti-Semitic attacks by people like Laurie Atkins. And that is not borne out in other research that I've seen, at least. I just think that this is describing a really specific situation in primarily Crown Heights, where those are the two communities that exist and our intention. Yeah. But putting all that aside, what do we think of these things? I mean, let's start maybe with the idea of that Jews are actually the worst kind of white people. <laughs> no one believes that. No one believes that. Like in a world with like white South Africans, Australia, you know what I mean? Like nobody actually I mean, these people are cringe, but they're not white supremacists. Right. Yeah. They're not like burning crosses on a lawn. Well, can I just say, I just find the fact that we're starting in this conversation with these quotes from these people who took this movie like deadly serious as like a <laughs> potential threat to the Jewish community everywhere and that it's going to incite black violence against Jews. Like this movie cannot bear the weight of this conversation. Like it's a silly movie. <laughs> it's a dumb rom-com with some funny jokes and it's two different worlds together and we have to make our families get along. It's like the most formulaic, most predictable story with this sort of like splash of religious racial commentary. But like because I was asked to watch this for this podcast, like I was bracing myself for some either super out there wrong-headed thing or like this really controversial like made me feel really uncomfortable but maybe in a good way kind of thing but it's just it's just the lowest common denominator version of this story and it was comforting the way that rom-coms are it was just kind of cute you don't really buy their relationship at first or ever but i just wanted to yeah. say it's a silly movie and the fact that there's a discourse about it that's trying to bear the weight of a conversation about like black and Jewish relations is absurd. I mean, I think it's kind of evidence that you cannot make like a mediocre movie about black Jewish stuff because everyone will lose their mind. I think like people are kind of in some cases chasing that high from the Kanye Kyrie yeah. discourse. And I can see the elements of this film that people would find objectionable for sure. But just the level of like, oh, this is setting back Black Jewish relations 30 years or whatever discourse is just very hyperbolic to me. And like a lot of the response, I think, was discomfort around the cringe humor that is like throughout and people don't want to be identified with that. And I saw a lot of people really angry at like Julia Louis-Dreyfus character, but I'm sorry, I've experienced the real life version of this person too many times <laughs> to like have a lot of sympathy for that. Like, sure, it's a caricature, sure, it's over the top, but some of y'all really do treat us that way, <laughs> whether it's the hair comments, treating people like a toy. Someone said to my dad when I was growing up, like he showed a picture of me at his high school reunion and someone was like, oh, where can I get one of those? You know, like there is this weird mm. fetishization of like mixed kids that happens. Right. The best line actually to that effect that really rang true is when she's like, we're a family of color, like we're the, we're the future or something. That really hit the nail right on the head. And like, I mean, sorry, mom, I could see my mom saying that, you know, like I'm not, I, I don't, I found it recognizable and I found it recognizably 
Jewish. Not that like Jews are the worst kind of white people, but like they're a particular kind of white. They're people. a particular kind of very progressive white people who like haven't figured out everything about what that means, but this is the stage they're at with it. it you know, so I, I actually found it in a certain sense, culturally specific. Ariel, when you sent the screenshots of that woman who was like, these are horrible stereotypes about Jewish women. And like, this is setting us back. And I was like, oh my God, like, maybe that's true. Like, maybe I need to like, take this movie seriously and start doing research. So like, I started <laughs> researching like the history of like those archetypes, like the stock character of like a Jewish mom. And then I read like Portnoy's complaint. I went down this like massive rabbit hole over this ridiculous movie just to like come out the other side of it like this was so not even worth that it's funny Jasmine was like oh I thought maybe when she said that it was harmful that this was like a Nazi trope or whatever and then I realized that it was just a trope that was invented by like Jewish male comedians Well, it's funny because I didn't really think about that that much when I was watching it, but now I'm thinking about it. And the Jewish mom archetype is also that she's sort of like smothering and doesn't want to let her little boy go. Like the mom-son relationship is always the key one in the stereotype. And she obviously has that, like their relationship in the movie, Ezra and his mother. Obviously, she's sort of smothering and, and doting and stuff. But their relationship is pretty good. I mean, it's it becomes bad because she gets between him and the person he loves, the woman that he's dating, Amira. But in terms of like, he's constantly just like making fun of her in front of her and she's funny and they, they clearly share a sense of humor. Like it's actually, it's kind of a good version of the Jewish mother, Jewish son dyad compared to ones that I have observed. At least in my viewing, the women are all kind of secondary like it is just this like carnival of masculinity like Mm. there's like a a black man who is like militant and like marked as like hyper masculine eddie murphy's character yeah it to me was just a movie about like the various like racial masculine insecurities like racialized masculinity Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting and like how they're interacting with each other i mean i'm from chicago which is like again the noi headquarters i could have been in the nation of islam i feel if like one thing had gone differently in my life (laughs) and even i don't don't take farrakhan that seriously you know like like if the main threat against your community is louis farrakhan like It's like not 1983 anymore. He's not like... It's wild that all these Jewish commentators, pundits are saying, oh God, this is there's so many terrible Jewish stereotypes in this movie. It's so offensive to us and so dangerous. It's like, isn't the Eddie Murphy character also a stereotype? Like, yes. totally. of course yeah. he is. And so, totally. and, the, yes. and the idea that he would, even if he was NOI, that he would like be just completely uncomplicatedly pro Farrakhan. He wears the kufi that Farrakhan gave him to dinner. And like, it's, it's all, so I mean, it's goofy. over the top stereotypes, but it's just like, for whatever reason, Jews in the media right now are just like so hair trigger ready to take offense. And I think it's specifically about when black people are involved. Yeah. When, black, when somehow the voice of criticism is black people, they lose their fucking shit. That was our last podcast was about. If you watch the scene that, that everyone's upset about where they're talking about Farrakhan, it's like really clear that Eddie Murphy and Neil Long's characters are like not supposed to be right in this scene. No, you obviously know, not. They're, they kind of get the last word in a certain way. Like I, I can see wanting more of a response 
response from the Jewish characters in that moment. It felt a little incomplete, but they're supposed to be wrong and ignorant. That's the whole point of that scene. So if you're watching that and you're like, Kenya Barris is a Farrakhan fan, I'm sorry, but you don't understand how to read a piece of media or you're intentionally misconstruing that scene. It's just not what it's supposed to be about. And in terms of his like hostility to the Jonah Hill character, my grandfather was really against my mom being with a white guy like really and it wasn't for no reason it was because he was from tennessee his father was likely murdered by white people we'll never know and like there's trauma and history behind that and in this film it's just totally decontextualized from like why do people even like farrakhan why do people even have these ideas it's just kind of played for laughs and they're wrong that's the whole point so the idea that this is like reinforcing that is just not true and if anything like i think black folks have reason to push back against that representation as well. I feel like it's kind of understood that like Farrakhan is a punchline and like the way that he's using like the NOI characters in this movie is meant to be like a kind of like funny faux militant kind of like. Well, his brother makes fun of him. The Eddie Murphy's brother character. Totally. Who's played by Mike Epps. EJ calls him Woody, even though he's right. changed, he changed his name to Akbar, but he's like, Woody, come on, you know, come on. You're Woody, you know, and he's like, you just became militant one day and that became your identity. The, the, the idea that it's a put on is text in the movie. I mean, it's funny. I'm, I'm going back to Badiel's quote that the black family just has a stern dad, the complete inability to like read any texture into what's being done with that character as well. When it's just like, this is America. Most people like interracial marriage is like still kind of rare. Like most people do marry within their race. And so if you are going to be in an interracial relationship, it is likely to cause like some sort of static in some way, or at least be like notable in some way. I feel like if I brought anyone home who wasn't Black, like something would happen. Speaking of interracial dating, one of my objections to this film is that there's a, there's a kind of like schlebby Jewish guy who would definitely pull Lauren London. I'm not sure that Jonah Hill's character is it. Yeah, ironically, he doesn't have the juice. He doesn't have the juice. Are we also supposed to believe that he can ball? I mean, maybe. Maybe he went to JCC camp and was point guard. You know, yeah, you never that's know. That's a funny moment, though, because like blacks and Jews, we share basketball. That's like a trope. It's like the uncut gems thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, just having dated white Jewish guys, I felt like he didn't do enough gatekeeping of her culture to her for this to be realistic. Like, where was the scene where he asked her if she likes jazz and then immediately starts talking about Sun Ra like she wouldn't know who that is? Oh, my that's why I won't listen to jazz because so many white people have explained jazz to me. I will not listen to jazz. I kind of don't watch basketball because so many white people have explained it to me. Like, that's completely true. I want to read one quote from You People and the Tediousness of the Interracial Rom-Com by Zeba Blay and Jezebel. In his 1967 essay on Sidney Poitier, James Baldwin had this to say about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I can't pretend that the movie meant anything to me. It seemed a glib, good-natured comedy in which a lot of able people were being wasted. But I told myself this movie wasn't made for you, and I really don't know the people for whom it was made. Hmm. I mean, obviously, Blay used this quote because it really seems to apply. Do we know who this movie is for? Oh my gosh, it's for people who date interracially. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the other part is like Kenya Barris just sucks, kind of. Like, he had this profile recently where he said, you know, like, I'm obsessed with race, which is fine, except he's obsessed with the same thing repeatedly. Like, he's obsessed with, like, the white 
black mingling and like I'm in a different position than my children. I guess I would imagine that the movie more specifically is made for people who have had some type of upward mobility and have now like married interracially and have anxieties about like their own blackness. I'm sure they also thought that like white Jews were going to like this film. I'm sure that they're surprised by the backlash to it. Rebecca, I think you're totally right that like a lot of things that are made by Jews in Hollywood, that it's also for Jews. But I actually disagree with you. I think Jews probably like it. Well, normal people who don't have Twitter brain. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's a huge hit. Yeah, my mom liked it. Who also had a, a dalliance with the NOI, has an Allah tattoo on her neck. Oh, I thought you were going to say with a Jew. No, <laughs> I, I did too. I also thought she, that's where this uh, was going. She like kind of, yeah, she had a, an NOI stage. I and mean, even she thought it was funny because it's like people who occupy these identities have a sense of humor, I thought. Yeah. Well, that's like the only reason I come on this podcast is to insist upon Jews having a sense of having humor. a sense of humor. <laughs> and, I, and it honestly like drives me crazy that there's all these Jewish pundits saying that this is an offensive movie. If we can't make this level of joke, Jesus, I mean, get over yourselves. It definitely felt like the butt of the movie was the, like, black family. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They literally pull off a black woman's wig as, like, a sight gag. Exactly. How is that not the most offensive thing in the movie? Like, it's ridiculous. Usually they burned his his koofy. They burned his koofy with, like, a (laughs) ceremonial candle. I feel like a lot of the things that I saw that were criticizing it were talking about the Holocaust jokes. I think the Holocaust jokes are maybe the best jokes in the movie. Me too. I agree. I laughed. I laughed for sure. So for the listeners, when he gets his ring yeah. uh, to <laughs> propose to Amira, Jonah Hill's character gets a small ring because he doesn't have a lot of money or, or he's cheap, you know, uh, and uh, and his friend, <laughs> his best friend, who's this queer black woman who he does a podcast with, says like, oh, my God, that's way too small. You're gonna have to make up a story about that. And he's like, yeah, I'll just say it's like my grandmother's Holocaust ring or something. <laughs> like she got it in the Holocaust. Like he has no, he, there's no actual story he makes up. He's no, just it's like, so it's, good. But it's like the idea is like, well, if you just say Holocaust, they can't get you. My friend has a, uh, a schema for this, which is basically you're either an always, a sometimes or a never. And that's just refers to Holocaust jokes generally. Like I am an always. And I have learned because I, am the grandchild of Holocaust survivors and I make a lot of Holocaust jokes that a lot of people are nevers, like big time nevers. But I'm also, I think, I suspect, I could be wrong that a lot of those people don't have family in the Holocaust. Maybe that's not fair. And maybe like this Jew in the city has like Holocaust family. I don't know, but I'm usually like shocked the extent to which American Jews who don't have Holocaust history are nevers about Holocaust jokes. Maybe it's guilt. I don't know. It is. It's sacralizing our chosen trauma. And you have a reason to laugh, which is like the legit trauma that needs to be cut and the tension that comes from that and the need to like relieve it. I understand it's not one to one, but a huge part of my comedy setup is like jokes about slavery because it's like I I think it's kind of like if you're so fixated on something like part of it is like you said Rebecca like you have to relieve like the tension but I think a part of it is is like if you constantly think about something at some point like a certain percentage of your thoughts have to be comedic like almost like (laughs) involuntary totally if you think about this thing constantly at some point you're going to come upon like a joke right an inappropriate thought and so one of the like scenes in the movie that probably gets people upset is where they meet, where they have the dinner with the two sets of parents. Yeah. And 
the Eddie Murphy character accuses the Julia Louis-Dreyfus character of equating the Holocaust and slavery and saying that, you know, it's just as bad. You know, we've both been through it. And um, I think the David Duchovny character is the one who's like, when we were actually the original slaves in Egypt, you know. <laughs> again, again, totally believable. I just totally want to believable. say, like, a thousand percent believable. I, like, not, not satire, like, direct. I went to Passover dinner this year, and... Someone introduced me to the idea, who was a Jewish woman, that like Jewish people were never enslaved in Egypt. Are you sure I didn't tell you that? <laughs> oh, was it you? I, I think it was me, because it's my favorite thing to tell people that there's literally no, there's no archaeological yeah. evidence that Jews <laughs> were slaves in Egypt, which I'm not saying what did or didn't happen. I'm just saying that there's no archaeological evidence for it. That's all. What a bummer. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to. Didn't change anything. I think I think it was me though that told you that. Anyway, okay, maybe. Whenever I think of a like the David Duchovny character saying that when Bob Dylan was writing his uh, like Christian era music, which is when he was courting this black woman who was a singer in his band, he in one of the songs I forget which song it is, "Precious Angel," which is directed to her. Mm-hmm. And he says, both of our ancestors were slaves. Yeah. And it's like the idea of a Jewish man like hitting on a black nice, woman by yeah. being like, you know, we both descend from slaves. You know, what was funny to me about that conversation is I feel like a lot of times the opposite happens where like black people are accused of conflating slavery with the Holocaust in terms of like levels of severity. Like, you know, we charge genocide and this history of sort of mm-hmm. adopting the, the language of, of genocide to describe that experience and even like using terms like black Holocaust. You know, we're talking about things that happened over completely different time periods. There's a lot of differences here. But I thought that that was interesting because I feel like a lot of times as Black folks were told, you know, what happened to you isn't as bad as the Holocaust. And I'm not here to like make that comparison at all. But it was just very interesting that that scene had kind of the opposite framing and people are upset at that. Yeah, totally. Can I say another thing that bothered me? This is very minor. But like, you know, when they're in the, the crypt barbershop, and it's a big deal that it's a crit barbershop. Why was it painted red oh in God, the background of the shot? That was so dumb. <laughs> like, oh, so like you can't wear a red sweatshirt, but your wall is red. Are you a crip or not? Like, what's going on here? But that was another moment where I was like, if black media commentators were as thin-skinned about tropes totally. as the Jews who got upset about this movie. The whole Crip barbershop scene is like, what What about that? Like, you got mad because this character who's already being depicted as a little over the top and conservative, that he says, you know, that you probably have generational wealth. That's like, a, that's so offensive compared yeah. to the whole Crip barbershop scene. It's like, Jesus Christ. You know, it's such a one-sided relationship that a lot of these people seem to be expecting, which is that everyone understands Jewish tropes, but like make no effort to understand how black folks are portrayed in media and the issues with that. It just really kind of belies that the idea that this is about wanting a real relationship because oh, sure. it's just about wanting the mic and wanting to feel like your experiences is treated exactly the same as black folks. When we have different experiences, that's the whole point. And if anything, that's like one of the things the movie was trying to say is that there are different sets of experiences. And it seems to me that a lot of the objection is to like, even that idea that we have different experiences, that we're living in different versions of America and that's coloring our relationships. It kind of is just taken as a given to me at my big age that like, anti-blackness is the universal like it's just kind of like the ground we walk on and so i have to have like a sort of thick skin like like i recognize the jonah hill character so deeply and like what i know is like (laughs) lots of non-black men especially have that very strange like wide-eyed relationship to black masculinity like it's not that different from howie blaine 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the sort of like exalting of like what they view as, I don't know, almost like an idealized, but still like really aggressive black masculinity. That's almost the inversion of how like they're stereotyped in some ways. Like if I can like hold all of these things in my head and also just be like, it's fine. Like I kind of can't have a thin skin to it because I'd be hurt constantly. But at the same time, have to like not laugh at a generational wealth joke, which, okay, it just wasn't funny. Yeah. Some of the things that didn't land just weren't funny, unfortunately. That's always the case. I mean, usually people are being offended by what is actually just a bad joke. But I think actually part of what's being said right now is that we on this recording seem to feel like the film was actually pretty even handed, like that it wasn't pulling punches against anyone in a certain regard. Yeah. I mean, I think what I'm finding annoying is that like I'm having to build up the racial sophistication of this film because the responses to it are even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be so goofy that we have to defend Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill. Like, don't Seriously. be that goofy. Exactly. But they are. People are being goofier than this film is. This film is better than the responses to it. I, I have one more question that I want to ask you guys, which I actually feel like is is an important question. Okay. So Jonah Hill has a podcast with his friend Mo, and it's about quote unquote the culture. And at the end, Jonah Hill says something to the effect of, like, yeah, I think you're right. Like, black people and white people can't be cool. Like, there's no way to like bridge that essentially. And, and, you know, like Eddie Murphy's character is like listening to this in his car and being like, huh, you know, this guy's actually not so bad or something. And then they get married at the end in like a surprise (laughs) wedding planned by their like crazy parents or whatever. It's like both a kind of racial pessimism and then also like this very quote unquote optimistic ending, maybe not believable. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Slave Play, Jeremy O'Harris's play. Just in terms, I mean, Slave Play is a very, very well made, like structurally amazing play with a really pessimistic outlook in terms of like whether interracial relationships are possible at all. And I think the play really comes down really hard on the side of like, no, not possible on a certain level. And I feel like this movie ends in a different place. And yet the whole movie, except for the last two minutes, are essentially on that note of of kind of pessimism about that. So I just wanted to ask you all like what you make of that. It, it's like impossible to say what the state of like Black Jewish relations in this entire country are. Like it's just it, even Black people alone is like too varied of a community but yeah I do feel like that like I feel like yeah on like a one-to-one or like subjective basis if you want to have like a you know like a interracial marriage or like a diverse friend group that's possible for you and then also like on a broader scale I feel like best case scenario to me sometimes it's just like like just leave each other alone or like with me like what I am arguing for is to be left alone wait but you're saying like in your personal life it feels possible but on the on the broader sense, you want to be left alone. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, I don't want movies like this. Or like, I don't right, want right, like, right. Jewish people to be, you know, like I have a friend who's like trans and he's like, I really miss when like cis people didn't know what we were. Like, I do kind <laughs> of miss when like most like, you know, like the websites I like look at on a daily were in like Black Jewish relations. To go back to Ariel's question about like what, is possible. I think it just depends on how real are you willing to be about who you are, who the other person is, and what the relationship is. You know, like when my parents were first dating, 
my mom's dad had already passed when I married, but he would never acknowledge my father, like even talk to him. And that's because he had like a real problem. He didn't want his kids marrying white people. And the best way to make sure your kids marry white people, by the way, is to tell them they can't because I have a bunch of mixed race cousins out of that situation. My dad's dad was like, give you my blessing, no problem with this, but no one's going to accept your kids. And that was his concern was that Jews wouldn't accept me. Black people wouldn't accept me. It's frankly much less of a problem for me to be mixed race and Jewish in the black community than it is for me to, to be a loud mouth black Jew talking about racism in Israel and the Jewish community. But like, I think for me, the biggest like threat to like black and Jewish people being able to have any kind of coalition or like share space is just the unwillingness to like acknowledge basic truths. Like the basic truth that like a lot of Jewish folks in the United States continue to benefit from white privilege have historically that this has colored their relationships with black folks. And like coming from the black community side, I don't want to treat these as the same thing, but also just like really not questioning some of the stereotypes or things that are shared and that are really rooted in white supremacy and are really rooted in Christian hegemony. Like those are the sort of things that I think make these relationships hard. And you also have the elephant in the room, which is like systemic segregation and racism in this country is going to color our interactions. So if you can be real about that, then maybe you do have a shot of having a relationship with other people. But if you're going to watch a stupid rom-com on Netflix and be like, this is the biggest threat to black Jewish relations, I'm sorry, but you're not going to have relationships with black folks, you know? Sam, you haven't weighed in on this pessimism question. Well, I think what's funny is I actually don't think slave play says that interrelation relationships will never work. Really? No, I don't think so. You just have to accept a certain amount of antagonism. Yeah, you have to accept the perversity. Every single one of those relationships by the end of the play is effectively over. Certainly it's a pessimistic vision, but I think like related to what Jasmine and Rebecca have said about like, you just have to like come from where you actually come from and like encounter people and know that know that there's a lot of perverse shit going on under the hood of your desires and you know live in the ambivalence of that and just sort of encounter each other on those terms and be careful with each other's hearts and stuff like that i mean maybe i'm just like the rosiest person ever to say that about slave play but i kind of don't think that it's saying no it'll never work i i mean i just to say like i, I the way i read the play is like when you do that work, when you actually encounter or deal with that, the relationship is over because it's so painful and it's so fucked up and like there's no coming no, back from it. No. Really? You guys didn't read it that way? No, I'm no. So, I'm shocked actually. I don't think this is like what he was necessarily saying, but it's like what I took from it. And again, like colored from my own experience. It's like if you are someone who's like committed to as some people are like committed to dating outside of your race or like specifically in this instance, like dating white people. There was like a central violence of the relation and like people do accept it and live with it. And whether it's like innately different from any encounter with like the other in romance, you know what I mean? Like it's like I took from slave play that, yes, it's bad. And this is also what we're just going to keep doing. Yeah. I think what you just said about like the encounter with the other, it's kind of like we live a sort of lie to ourselves all the time that like our attractions and relationships are not pervaded by like weird power plays and violence and like fantasies of domination and submission and stuff like that. That's all there. Even when we are just dating just the right person that our mom would be happy for us to date, you know? And, and I think, yeah, I think the, the, the movie 
doesn't say nearly anything that interesting. That's true. <laughs> like the things that people have like encountered in their interracial dating. You know what I mean? Like this is like kind of jokey and anodyne. There are like real, real horror stories out there. It totally. And it's like, it's wild to me that even that they decide that they're not going to go through with the wedding because their parents don't like each other on the night before. Doesn't it doesn't make, make any sense. sense because it's not that bad. It's really just not that bad compared yeah. to what I, like you said, Jasmine, I've heard of stories of things happening with people when they're in relationships. Something that I thought was funny, given the topics of the two podcasts we've all done together, you know, the N-words in Paris motif and the fact that it, it ends with that song. The credits run, and you get Jay doing his verse and saying, I just might let, let you meet Ye. And then it cuts out, and you don't hear the Kanye verse. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. oh, I didn't even notice that. Well, I was watching and going, oh, my God, is the Kanye verse coming? Is he actually going to do the Kanye verse? Oh, my gosh. One thing I will just say to wrap up is that I did see some good responses to this. One of them is from Mira Stern, who's like an anti-racist Jewish educator in the Bay Area, who was basically just being like, can, you, can we all learn to sit with some discomfort? You know, totally. But it also just feels like we're never gonna get to like the real things. Like it's like we're gonna spend so long talking about like whether Jewish people are white and like who can make a Kanye joke. Like we're n- I'm never getting reparations. Like we're never gonna get <laughs> reparations. We're never gonna get to colorism. You know what I mean? Like that is very well said, Jasmine. We are never gonna get to the real things. I think that's the place to end, you guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Rebecca and Sam and Jasmine for watching this movie and talking about it with me and for making me feel a little less crazy in this world. Thanks. This was fun. See you next time. 